Well, it's good to be here with you um, this week. Uh, I've been gone a couple of weeks as well. Had intended to be with Jody and Jeff and Brian and to be chatting around uh, a nice festival. But uh, as many of you, if not all of you know, um, my grandmother of 88 years, uh, she she uh, uh, passed this last week. And so I'd gone up and thank you for the ability to go and be with my family. I was able to see her transition from the hospital into uh, the home and uh, to be there when she passed and to uh, to actually preach her funeral. And so um, thank you for all of the encouragement. Thank you for the support that you showed Nicole and I through that. Um, I want to make an announcement before we move into our topic for the day, and that is uh, I hope that all of you um, are already planning on being here next week, um, but that you'll also plan on inviting some folks. We have the opportunity to host a very special guest. It's a friend of mine, a friend of ours now. Uh, his name is Charles, Dr. Charles Hewlin. And he is, uh, I'm going to get his title wrong, but he is, I think, the dean of the College of Music and Performance at Southeastern University, um, Jody and Jeff and my alma mater. Um, and uh, he's coming. He was here last year, if you'll remember. He played beautifully for the whole service, interwove some stories, some teachings, some prayer. All uh, will is well and all will be well. Uh, so he's going to be here, and uh, it's going to be a wonderful opportunity for us to show him some love and support and also to be ministered to in a, in a pretty touching and uh, moving way. He is uh, just a master at his craft uh, with degrees from uh, Juilliard and the Peabody Institute, but uh, more than that, he is just an excellent human being and representative of what it means to live a life shaped by Christ. And so we're thankful for that. Join me in prayer as we start this little talk today. Psalm 98. Sing to God a brand new song. He has made a world of wonders. He rolled up his sleeves. He set things right. God made history with salvation. He showed the world what he could do. He remembered to love us. A bonus to his dear family, Israel, indefatigable love. I said that word really wrong. Love that doesn't fail. How about that? The whole earth comes to attention. Look, God's work of salvation. Shout your praises to God, everybody. Let loose and sing. Strike up the band. Round up an orchestra to play for God. Add on a hundred-voice choir. Feature trumpets and big trombones. Fill the air with praises to King God. Let the sea and its fish give a round of applause. Just the picture of dolphins just makes me laugh with that. With everything living on earth joining in, let ocean breakers call out encore and mountains harmonize the finale. A tribute to God when he comes, when he comes to set the earth right. He'll straighten out the whole world. He'll put the world right and everyone in it. God, we are so thankful that we serve you. A God that is both far and near. A God full of wonders and awe and delight. And most importantly, that your heart is for justice. Your heart is for your people. Your heart is for the whole of creation. 
And we rest. We rest in peace. We rest in joy. We rest in assurance that you, oh God, will set it all right. Now help us. Help us to celebrate that. We might not have big trombones or little trombones. We might not have any trombones. But we have this opportunity to give praise and to give wonder. And most importantly, to live our lives As a celebration that you are not only going to set things right, but that you are setting things right. And we get to be a part. Thank you, God. Amen. Today, we continue our series with Brian McLaren's Make the Road by Walking. And since Easter, we've been talking of what it means to walk this new path of aliveness that Jesus offers. By reflecting on what it means to live in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. Two weeks ago, Jeff spoke to us regarding the spirit of conspiracy and how kindness will help influence the world for God. Last week, Debbie tackled the topic of the spirit of power and did a wonderful job. And today, I would like us to take a good look at what it means to possess the spirit of holiness. Now, warning, this topic, the topic... Of the spirit of holiness gives me all the feels. Raised in a denomination with strong ties to the holiness tradition. I saw holiness at its best. And it's not best. Holiness at its best was giving God the best of everything that we had. To say that God was worthy of our all, worthy of our adoration and adulation, worthy of the best of all that we had to give. But holiness at its worst was a fear-based way of boundary keeping. The view of God emphasized in this was that God was the creator of all things, mighty, the king of all glory, the lover of his flock. And, at times, God of distance, the God on top of the mountain. God was a God who did not tolerate any sin and did not tolerate anything less than a person or a community's best. A God whose presence wasn't just greed within us, but who could and would flee you if you did not meet the holiness standard. Sometimes, even a God who delighted in wrath and in the punishment of God's foes. So what could cause that wrath in that distance? Well, wearing something like this to church. Having tattoos, piercings, long hair. Check, check, check. Yep, I'm going to hell. (laughs) What else? Singing something other than the hymns, perhaps in the style of rock. Using drums or playing in minor keys. Playing secular songs. Employing a translation other than that of the King James translation of the Bible. Uh Uh-oh. Check, 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 check. If you're a visitor here, there may still be time. Run. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But you guessed it. Hell. (laughs) Anything else? Hmm. What else could cause this God to visit wrath or to divorce himself from a community or congregation? Ah, 
women with their heads uncovered, women elders, women preachers, pastors, all offensive to God. Wonder what God has against women. People of color. They're fine as long as they go to their own church or attend ours but promise not to date our kids. Divorced. Allowed. Maybe, but never, ever allowed to lead in the church again. LGBTQ. Absolutely not. And if we could go on and on and on, small things, medium things, big things, all served as boundary markers, which either enjoined God's love to you or kept you from God's love. And it would let everyone know if you're one of us or one of them, if you're in or if you're out. And this was the same type of spirituality that Jesus faced when dealing with certain religious leaders and religious groups of his day. What might he have to say to us about the spirit of holiness? I'm really glad that we all asked that today. See, Jesus promised his followers three things. First, their lives would not be easy. Second, They would never be alone. And third, in the end, all will be well. Their lives would not be easy. Many years ago, to let you know how this has affected me, I was faced with a dilemma. I was out of Bible college. I was in my early 20s, newly married, and a pastor at a large church. In April 20, or on April 20, 1999, most of you can remember that that was the day that the Columbine High School massacre took place. Senior students Eric Harris and Dylan Kybold murdered 12 students and one teacher. They injured 21 additional people, and three more were injured while attempting to escape the school. And after exchanging... Fire, gunfire with police officers, they decided to kill themselves. That was a grievous time for our world, but it was a new time. I mean, 20 years later, or thereabouts, school shootings are unfortunately almost commonplace. It feels like there's one after one after one, but this was the first instance of something like this happening, and it shook us. And as a young youth pastor, I had just boarded a charter bus with 60 teenagers, taking them to a teen conference at the Pontiac Silverdome, that time home of Jeff's beloved Detroit Lions, NFL. And I... Sad as we were going to Teen Manias, which was an evangelical Christian youth organization that concentrated on throwing rallies, but also on getting teens to serve overseas for short missionary stints. We're going to have something like 60,000 teens in one place to celebrate God. It was a very weird mood on that bus. And the way it was set up is for two days, we had seminars, guest speaker after guest speaker, big names in the evangelical Christian world, got up and spoke to our kids. 
spoke to us as leaders. I can remember, I think it was day two of this conference, with this really conflicted spirit going on in me, that this was both a world where great things could be done, and we had so many teenagers for the first time in one place celebrating God, and at the same time this world was broken and this tragedy could happen, that I sat and I heard someone tell my kids and thousands of other kids that all you had to do was accept Jesus. I'd grown up hearing that at the end of every service I could ever imagine. That I was a sinner. I was bound for hell. God's wrath was against me. Jesus would absorb it if I just assented to and decided to follow Jesus. And after that, everything was good. It was promised to my teens that day that the world would somehow morph into this Pollyanna's paradise. That everything would be, you know... Uh, The front room of Willy Wonka's candy shop or everything would be uh, dandy and your parents would, your family would cease to have strife and turmoil and you'd get together and everything would be fine. And, And I just sat there and I thought, no, my problem is I read the Bible. My problem was I, I knew the Christian story. My problem was I'd lived as a Christian. And when I read the book and what I experienced this, This, life doesn't become perfect when you accept Jesus. Jesus, for me, was not the answer. Jesus was the question. Jesus never promised an easy life. In fact, if you look at phrases like, take up your cross and follow me. Leave the dead to the dead. Come and follow me. Drink my blood and eat my flesh. These are all things Jesus said. (laughs) He was bad at altar calls. I've said that before here. But what he did promise was this. That his followers would never be alone. That through the struggles, through the despair, through the pain, and through the joy, and through the celebration, and all of it is... In everything that life has for us, the full voice of creation and what it means to be a human, God had decided that God in the person of Jesus would enter into our world. And that Jesus would be on our side. That is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Hey, blessed are you poor in the Spirit. Not that you're not going to be poor anymore. But that God is on your side. Uh, Eugene Peterson says this way in the message, he says, when you're at the end of your rope, God's there. That Jesus will teach us the unforced rhythms of grace. So this world is a hard place. And if you've heard from us, a Pollyanna kind of Christianity, I'm sorry. I don't think you have. I think we're real clear. We're in this thing together. We high five. And we cry. We're going to be through this together. We're never alone. And it's not that we're not just left to each other's hugs and devices. But Jesus also says that the Spirit would be with us. In John chapter 14, verses 15 through 20. And this is out of the message version. If you love me. 
Show it by doing what I've told you. I'll talk to the Father and he'll provide you another friend so that you will always have someone with you. This friend is the spirit of truth. The godless world can't take him because it doesn't have eyes to see him, doesn't know what to look for. But you know him already because he has been staying with you and will even be in you. And I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming back. In just a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you're going to see me because I'm alive and you're about to come alive. At that moment, you will know absolutely that I'm in my Father and you're in me and I'm in you. You see, the first thing here is that Jesus says, and this is getting back to this holiness motif. Because when I grew up in the holiness world, it was a fear-based world. You were good as long as you did not disqualify yourself. So you had to check all the right boxes. And your behavior, your attitude, even your beliefs was somehow predicated upon not grieving God. Not angering God. Not disqualifying you. But Jesus says this. If you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. This is not a... Uh, actions based out of fear. We do what we do because we love Jesus. We love uh, our neighbor because Jesus modeled that for us. I've said it before. Christ was all about the high invitation and the high challenge. The high invitation being whosoever will come. Regardless of race or or of uh, creed, or, or of nationality, or ethnicity, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of your level of education, God is on your side, and whoever wants to sit at this feast may. But, if you're going to hang and roll with Jesus, it's going to be a life full of purpose and meaning. This is not about comfort. This is not about casualness. This is about living a life that is eternal. That translation being not just about time and length of and duration, but about quality. A life for the ages. A life that will stand the mark of time. A life like my nanas, 88 years old and a room filled with people who said, in small, ordinary ways, she changed their life forever. Whether it was the kids she picked up and brought to church and modeled for them that life could be different than the life that they knew. If it was the continuous, I looked through, my dad, I don't know why, he wanted me to look through her checks, Debbie, to see what she gave. And it was $10 here, $8 here, $4 here to ministry after ministry after ministry after ministry. She was a woman that everyone knew, believed in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And she would scream that at the most inopportune times. Like when you're playing baseball, you know. You can do all things through Christ. Now hit the ball, Matt. That's a lot of pressure. If you don't connect, you're in sin. That's basically what everyone knows at that point. Or even stranger, you know, to my cousin Chad, it was always, you could do all things through Christ with strength as you tackle him. I'm like, what? <laughs> but in small ways and in really large ways, she let us know that she did what she did, not out of some fear, 
but because she was imitating a God of love by the name of Jesus. When we follow Jesus, we accept that invitation and that challenge. And what we do involves matters of the heart. It involves moves of the heart. And it involves what the mystics say, a mind that has descended into the heart. Christ talks to the Father. The Father sends the Holy Spirit, which is our advocate, which is our helper. And I like the way that he translates it, our friend. He goes on in John 14, verses 25, 27, John 15, 26, and 27. I'm telling you these things while I'm still living with you. The friend, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send at my request, will make everything plain to you. He will remind you of all things I've told you. I'm leaving you well and whole. That's my parting gift to you. Peace. I don't leave you the way you're used to being left, feeling abandoned, bereft. So don't be upset. Don't be distraught. See, he says that the friend will make everything clear to you. And when he says that, he's not talking about that the Holy Spirit is giving us new lists of boxes we need to check. But that the living God is going to dwell within us in some type of mysterious, miraculous way. And what we'll be able to do is in prayer and thought, we'll be able to discern what is right in this context, in this situation. See, one of the problems that I had with that address that was given that day in the Pontiac Silverdome was when it said that Jesus, you accept Jesus, everything will be right. What they really meant was, you do what we do. You say what we say. You sing what we sing. You go to the places we go to. You buy the things we buy. You do everything that we do and you'll be safe. The problem with that is, that's not what Christ wanted for us. Christ is not interested in uniformity. Christ is interested in unity, which means that there has to be variety. There has to be difference. So we play off one another and that interaction begets holy imagination, which transforms this everyday world into the eternal. This mundane place into the magnificent where we see every common bush of fire with God. We take off our shoes. Because we're standing on holy ground. That's not what was promised to me. What was promised to me is some kind of group think. You just do these things and you'll be okay. You won't even have to think about it hard. In fact, and this is no slam to these people or the intention of their heart. Why they did what they did. But we'll even make stores for you where these tapes are sanctioned by God. These Uh, youth songs are sanctioned by God. These holy socks are sanctioned by God. These are, everything is sanctioned by God. And you know what happens? Especially when you're dealing with teenagers, you don't have to learn how to discern. Discernment is the core to the Christian workout. It is the stabilizer. I have given mine extensions We talk all the times in the holiness sect. Well, that's just a slippery slope. That's just a slippery slope. If you listen to Amy Grant, that's a slippery slope into that rock music, which will send you to hell. 
If your hair gets a little past your, uh, your collar, something bad's going to happen. You're going to slip. So slip. The problem is it's all a slippery slope. Everything is a slippery slope. When we walk the walk with Jesus, this is not a wide road. This is a narrow road. It's narrow because we have to engage our discernment with the Holy Spirit so that we don't slip into hedonism and everything goes. And so we don't slip into religiousness and Phariseeism on the other side. It's not that there's this big, long, uh, palatial kind of plateau and then everything falls into liberal progressiveness or hedonism and debauchery. It's that we have to live in the moment. In the present with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, our advocate, our friend, guiding us along the way. Those of you who raft, those of you who kayak, I tube. (laughs) I do it well, I'm buoyant. But you know when you're going into new rapids and those pieces, it's helpful to have an instructor, a guide with you in that moment. Some of you who are advanced in this, you still have lessons from your first guides who may not be in the boat with you, but they're in your mind and in your heart. Saying, check it out this way, or do this, or tilt your path. I don't know what y'all do. Do the things you need to do. Jesus says in this passage, I'm leaving you well and whole. Holiness is wholeness. It is congruence. It is balanced. It is being in the sweet spot of choosing God above all and living as much as you can by activating that power and then navigating the reaction. It's doing those things. And holiness is peace. Not a false peace. I'm good because I've checked these boxes. But a true peace because you're walking in the embrace of our friend, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here. I want to look at John 16, 33. Jesus answered them, do you finally believe? In fact, you're about to make a run for it, saving your own skins and abandoning me. But I'm not abandoned. The Father's with me. I told you all this so that... Trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, again, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart. I've conquered the world. See, the Father was, is with Jesus through our friend, the Holy Spirit. And now the whole of the Trinity has been, is now with us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Things may have not gotten better. For you this morning, things might not be good. But, that's a big but. Jesus says, take heart. Because Jesus has conquered the world. See, this is what we talk about when we talk about here the difference between curing and healing. Curing is God's business. Redeeming is the fact that God and each of us enter into the pain and suffering and we redeem that pain. By being with one another. We redeem that pain by knowing that God is with us in it. 
And as a result of that, we are co-redeemers with Christ. Not because we are God, but because God is working in us and through us to help save this world. That world saved that we read so much in the New Testament. The word is sozo, and that word means to heal. To heal relationally with God, with ourselves, with others, with the whole of this world. And you and I get to take part in that, in this path to aliveness. Because the Spirit works and lives within us. And then in the end, all will be well. 1 Corinthians 15 says this in verses 16 through 28. If corpses can't be raised, then Christ wasn't because he was indeed dead. And if Christ weren't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark as lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection because they're already in their graves. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up. The first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. See, there's a nice cemetery, or excuse me, symmetry in this. Death initially came by a man and resurrection from death came by a man. Everybody dies in Adam. Everybody comes alive in Christ. The grand consummation when after crushing the opposition, he hands over his kingdom to God the Father. He won't let up until his last enemy is down. And the very last enemy is death. As the psalmist said, he laid them low, one and all. He walked all over them. Well, when scripture says that, he laid them low, one and all. He walked over them. It's obvious that he couldn't at the same time be walked on. When everything and everyone is finally under God's rule, the sun will step down, taking his place with everyone else, showing that God's rule is absolutely comprehensive, a perfect ending. See, when we hear the word judgment, and a lot of the places we came from in Christianity, and not even that, when we hear judgment in our Western culture, we think punishment. We automatically go to something that you're having to pay this debt. You're going to be in prison. This is what that all means. But the word in the Bible for putting things right, for putting things right, is judgment. In biblical times, good judges did more than condemn or punish. They worked to set things right, to restore balance and harmony and well-being. Their justice was restorative, not just punitive. The final goal of judgment was to curtail or convert all that was evil so that good would be free to run wild. Now, it's obvious that justice is not that way in this world. We've already seen that Jesus promised us things would be hard and that we wouldn't be alone. But the idea of final judgment We dare to hope in this that somehow, beyond what we see in history, restorative justice could have the last word. Final judgment or final restoration means that God's universe arcs toward universal repentance, universal reconciliation, universal purification, universal putting wrong things right. It means more than saying that everything can be punished, will be punished. It means that everything can be restored, will be restored. 
It means that disease will be treated and healed, not just diagnosed. It means everything will, in God's ultimate justice, not only be evaluated, but it will be given new value. So when we say with the writer of Hebrews in chapter 9 that it's appointed for mortals to die once, and after this the judgment, we're not saying, and after this the condemnation. We're saying, after this... The setting right. And with John, we dare to believe that to see God as God is, is to be in God's unspeakable light. And it will purge us of all darkness. It's hard to know what all that means. And it doesn't mean that there's no cost. It doesn't mean that there's no loss, no regret, no mourning. This is where this so often misused image of fire comes in. You see, so many hellfire and brimstone preachers have depicted fire as an instrument of eternal conscious torture. But it's so much more biblical. It's so much more in keeping with the words of Jesus to be understood as an instrument of purification. See, Paul says it this way. God's purifying fire can't consume gold, silver, and precious stones because in so doing, God will be destroying something good, which would render God evil. Instead, the cleansing or refining fire of God must destroy only the wood, hay, and stubble of hypocrisy, evil, and sin. Some of us have constructed our lives like a shoddy builder and we use worthless building materials. And when we experience the purification of things being set right, that's going to be a time of loss, of regret, of mourning perhaps for us. But if we understand God doesn't want to destroy us. God wants to purify us. God doesn't want to torture us. God wants to set things right. Then we welcome God's judgment on our own lives. We welcome the discernment and the speaking of the Holy Spirit. Making us more like who we were created to be. God's envisioned selves that we should be living into. Lives that are marked with and by the presence of the Holy Spirit and who resemble Jesus Christ in this world and this time. When we understand God's judgment is restorative, it changes the way we live before our deaths. It makes us eager to use our wealth to make others rich, not to hoard it. It inspires us to use our power to empower others, not to advance ourselves. It liberates us to give and give so that you will finish this life having giving more. And you have received. It encourages you to try to be secretive about your good deeds because you would rather defer the return on your investment to the future. In fact, this hope makes you willing to give up this life if necessary for things that matter more than mere survival. And it changes the way we see trials and tribulations in this life. Not as punishment for our wrongs, but as refining fire to strengthen and purify us. Trials become our friends, not our enemies. 
annoyances are like flames that burn away our selfishness. The demands of duty are like degrees of heat that burn away our laziness. The unkind words and deeds of others are like a furnace in which our character is tempered until we learn to bless, not curse in response. It's not even worth comparing our short-term trials, Paul says, to the long-term glory that comes from enduring them. Whatever we face, ease or struggle, life or death, Paul's encouragement is the same for us. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. If we believe in judgment, in God's great setting things right, We won't live in fear. If we believe the universe moves toward purification, justice, and peace, we'll keep seeking to be pure and just and peaceable now. If we believe God is pure light, McLaren says, and goodness, we'll keep moving toward the light each day in this life. And someday when our time comes to close our eyes and death, we'll be able to trust ourselves to the loving light in which we will awaken, purified, beloved, forever. Life will not be easy. We will never be alone. In the end, all will be well. This is all we know, and this is all we need to know. I want to encourage you this morning, while the band plays and sings, ask yourself this question. Maybe jot it down on a card in front of you or something you have to write with. Out of this, what what warned me? What warmed me? What challenged me? What inspired me? What invited me to live if not keep doing the things I'm doing what are some mid-course corrections I need to make as far as holiness goes maybe you're going through a lot of troubles right now challenge yourself to think what would it mean for me if instead of seeing this as torture I saw this as a gift of refinement And our challenge this week, today, this afternoon, the rest of the days, is to hold on to the hope that God is setting things right. To see how that influences your thoughts, your actions, your behavior. So let's enter into a moment of contemplation. Let's write, let's pray, let's be quiet, let's stand to our feet and sing with the band. Whatever you feel the prompting, let's engage that core of discernment. And let's let God speak to us.